Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and I have posted some fantastic pictures of me at the New York Jets game yesterday. I was in the owner's box. Woody and Suzanne Johnson, who own the New York Jets, are very dear friends of mine, and they very kindly invited me to sit with them in the owner's box yesterday for the game. Unfortunately, the Jets were W-challenged yesterday, like they are most of the time, but we had a complete blast, and I got to go out on the field, so there are some fantastic pictures there, and, and hang out with great friends like Brett and Amy Bear, so there are pictures up there, and just check it out, Monica Crowley underscore. Also, I'm on Twitter and True Social, at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. The email address is Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, later this week, we are going to be joined by the Babylon Bee, the most brilliant satire site, which has been canceled, suspended, smeared, all because they happen to be conservatives and people of faith. They also happen to be absolutely hilarious. So funny, just brilliant. They've got a new book out which is also hysterical, and one of the editors will join us for a very funny and very important conversation about satire in the age of fascist enforcement barring free speech. Their worst crime at the Babylon Bee? Making fun of the left? That's the critical point. So the Babylon Bee, a conversation that you do not want to miss, that's coming up later this week. Today, we also have a real treat Because the great Miranda Devine will be here. Miranda is a fantastic columnist for the New York Post. She is the author of the number one bestseller, Laptop from Hell. 
And there is so much that I want to cover with her from Hunter Biden and the Biden family corruption to the catastrophe at the border and the arrival of illegals in communities all over the U.S. Miranda has been breaking news about all of it, and she will be here. So that is also not to be missed. Plus, your emails. But first, the Monica Memo. So yesterday in Central Park here in New York City, uh, they did this huge free concert called the Global Citizen Concert. And it's exactly what you think it would be, <laughs> okay? It's, it is all about promoting the globalist predator agenda. The World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, that whole globalist, transhumanist agenda of no sovereign nations, one world government with a giant surveillance state, and according to the World Economic Forum, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. It really is, in, in many ways, like a Fourth Reich, right? It, it's, it's this fascist, it's neo-Marxist, but it's got fascist tactics uh, associated with it. So they try to sell it to the American people and across the West uh, with these crazy concerts, right? It's like, bring them in with the Jonas Brothers, and make them listen to a pile of globalist crap, um, and let's try to win them over that way. But if we can get them in front of us, if we can lure them with, I don't know, Cher, or, or whoever sang at this concert, Metallica, I guess, was there, Mariah Carey was there. But it, their their tactics are are fascist, but they're also brilliant, because they suck people in with these concerts, and in between the acts, they feed you all the all of this globalist bullshit, right? So they do it the right way. They, they certainly have the resources to do it. That's how they, they reel people into the message. Well, yesterday, this global change kind of concert took place and thousands of thousands of people showed up, but they were there for the music. So even though you're in New York City, the belly of the beast, the people who attended that concert wanted to hear the acts. They were there for the music, and if by chance some of the globalist bullshit got to them, okay, that's considered by the global predators a success. But the people who were there just, they wanted to hear the music, right? Free concert, why not? So Mrs. Pelosi shows up and she gets on stage and she starts yammering on with some globalist bullshit about climate change or whatever. And again, I would probably, if I were to venture to guess, about 80% maybe 85, 90%, it is New York City after all, of this audience is with her agenda, okay? Is, is for everything that Mrs. Pelosi and her Democrat Communist Party is about. I, I would venture to guess that's probably the case. And yet when Mrs. Pelosi took to the stage to speak, she got roundly booed, booed on end. It was awkward. It was embarrassing. I mean, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. You want free speech? Here you go. Here you go. Here's a little free speech. But she got basically booed off the stage yesterday in the heart of New York City, which tells you something, right? So a couple of things. Obviously, people were there for the music and people were complaining there was too much talking in general, uh, including by Mrs. Pelosi. And by the time she took the stage, they were just done with it. Secondly, I do think that there is there is a real backlash against this globalist movement, which more and more people now see as dark and evil. It is wicked. 
And it is a spiritual battle. And I think more and more people, even if they're not conscious of the spiritual aspect to it, they are feeling the concrete results of it in their daily lives and they don't like it. So whether it's Europe or whether it's here in the United States, you are seeing now the populists coming back up because the people have had enough. Can you guys smell the globalist panic? Can you smell it? The energy has shifted, okay? So across Western Europe, just in the last week, we have seen two major European countries now reject the, uh, the, the socialists in those countries that are all attached to, to the globalist predators and that whole movement. So we saw populists and conservatives defeat the longtime socialists just last week in Sweden. And then yesterday, we had in Mrs. Pelosi's uh, original country, native country of Italy, we saw a major victory for this incredible populist named Georgia Maloney. And you would think that the feminists and the left in America and the West would be cheering on Ms. Maloney for winning her election. A a woman going to be the first female prime minister of Italy? This is a huge achievement for feminism, right? Not so fast. No, they hate her because she's like a female Trump. So, of course, you know, they're going to wreck her wreck her. And I want to get into this now because not only is there a backlash coming from the globalist predators, but also, of course, from their wingmen in the press. They are absolutely panicked because they saw what happened in Sweden. They saw what happened in Italy yesterday, and they are consumed with panic to the point now where you have the head of the European Union, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, She sounds like a character out of an Austin Powers movie, right? The villainous Ursula von der Leyen. Um, She is now just overtly threatening the Italians because all of these globalists are freaking out. You can smell their panic, right? Which also makes it a very dangerous moment here because they will lash out. And it, it is, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, they're already crushing us, but they realize now that they are going to have to step up their game. Because they also, by the way, understand that Sweden was first, and then Italy, and then in 43 days, I think, the United States in the midterm elections, which I think are going to be a lot more positive than what the media is telling you. That doesn't mean take your foot off the, uh, the gas. That doesn't mean take anything for granted. Obviously, we need all hands on deck and we need everybody voting. But they are now in full panic mode. Look, this goes back to Brexit. It goes back even earlier, but in, in the contemporary period, this goes back to Brexit with the populist uprising of the British people saying, we don't want any part of this bureaucratic globalist nightmare that you were inflicting on us. We don't want it. We want out. And then shortly after that, a couple of months later, the election of Donald Trump in the United States. The globalist movement is alive and well. Do not allow the globalist predators and their wingmen in the propaganda press to tell you otherwise. We have had enough and we are standing up which also means that our enemies see that, which is why they are ramping up their efforts to try to crush us. According to them, 
We only like democracy when our people win. The Democrat communists are constantly telling us and and lecturing us that democracy is under assault. And now they've upped their game here by saying if Republicans win, elections will be canceled. This is their latest scare tactic. And it actually reveals a lot. Here's Fernand Amandi on MSNBC over the weekend. Check him out. Listen. And and I think if we're able to capture and hold on to the Senate and maybe even hold on to the House, it's going to be because black voters, Hispanic voters, Asian voters, all of those voters across the spectrum of this rising majority turned out. Because the truth of the matter is, Tiffany, if they don't take the opportunity to vote in this election, they may not have an opportunity to vote again in a free and fair election. Those really are the stakes. I don't think any of us can stress enough. If the Republicans capture either houses of Congress, they are committed to undoing democracy. Okay, so a couple of things about what he just said. It's not just this one guy, because this is a consistent position across the left. A couple of things about it. First of all, we do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. So I would encourage all these people on the left that to go back to school read their constitution. I mean, obviously they're out to destroy it, but go back to school because uh, obviously you've no idea what you're talking about, or maybe they're deliberately um, changing the language on purpose to manipulate it, which is also entirely possible. Secondly, projection. I talk about this all the time on this show. I talk about it on Fox News. This is what the left does constantly. They engage in projection and they're masters of it. And that's what this comment is. It is projection. Clearly, this is what the left has planned. They're saying, oh, if Republicans win, they're going to cancel elections. No, they're telling you exactly what they intend to do. If they win, they will cancel elections. Don't think it's possible? Think again. And third, for us normal, clear-eyed people, we can see that a threat to democracy means the people I don't like win. That's what all of this is about. By the way, we also need the same mentality when it comes to the left-wing press's coverage of foreign affairs. Whenever the New York Times covers a topic we know something about, we understand it's fake news. Just look at their coverage of Italy's election, which again happened yesterday. The conservative populist Georgia Maloney will become Italy's new prime minister, the first woman. Her party is called the Brothers of Italy, even though she's a sister of Italy. Brothers of Italy. So they sort of blew it out. I mean, this was a really significant win. And that party now will become uh, the leader of a very significant center-right coalition in Italy. So, of course, cue the propaganda press calling her a, quote, evil fascist. Here is CBS News. They proclaim, quote, voters in Italy appear poised to elect a far-right prime minister tomorrow. This was uh, on Saturday. Uh, Georgia Maloney, the woman expected to win, leads a neo-fascist movement reminiscent of Benito Mussolini's own political party. I mean, seriously, they literally wrote that. This is CBS News. Neo-fascist movement reminiscent of Mussolini. It's just like here in the United States, guys. The main opposition movement, which is us, the America First movement, 
is, quote, a clear and present danger. Remember Biden's Hitlerian speech of about two weeks ago where he called half the country, called all of us enemies of the state? Exactly. In an article about Maloney's likely victory, the New York Times wrote this, and this, again, is a direct quote. More than 70 years after Nazis and fascists nearly destroyed Europe, formerly taboo parties with Nazi or fascist heritages that were long marginalized have elbowed their way into the mainstream. Some are even winning, God forbid. A page of European history, they wrote, seems to be turning. Again, all of this is projection. They are the raging fascists. Them. And they spend all of their time projecting it onto patriotic nationalists and populists who just want to restore their nation's stability and normalcy and even greatness. Yes, but that's not allowed because we have had this raging authoritarianism now for decades. And it came across when, when the creation of the EU happened. And it's just, it's everywhere across the West. So if you are an America first, or as this woman is who won yesterday in Italy, an Italy first candidate, well, you need to be crushed. If this is not authoritarianism, I don't know what is. Of course it is. We are living in an authoritarian moment. And when they scream about ripping apart democracy and they scream about fascism and Nazism, that is a giant tell. They are telling you exactly who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. I say this all the time on this show. Our enemies throughout history, whether it was Chairman Mao, whether it was Hitler, whether it was Stalin, they spend all of their early time and even their time in power telling you exactly who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. And we make the choice in the West of not listening to them because of idealism, because of the control factor. I told you about that book by Bill Siegel. It's so great. We do everything we can to try to control our environment and live our lives because the reality is so frightening. And that's exactly what they they play on all of that. They play on those fears. It's an emotionally based attack on us. Ms. Maloney and her brothers, and I guess sisters of Italy party, um, They ran on anti-illegal immigration, gain control of Italy's borders, pro-growth economic strategy. She ran on an Italy-first platform. So, of course, throughout all of this coverage, CBS, uh, New York Times, there is no mention of her platform. The platform must be buried because the platform is incredibly popular with the people. Get the economy going, control your borders, stop illegal immigration, get a handle on crime. This, these are universal principles, guys, of populism. And it's just normal, common sense stuff about safety and security and prosperity for our people or for the Italians or the Swedes. That's all average citizens want. But that is in a gross disconnect with what the globalists want which, as I said, is a a globalist surveillance state backed by total despotism. 
And it's a lot more complicated than that, but that that's the top line of all of it. And the transhumanism stuff, where there are hackable humans so they can control us, control our mobility, that's what electric vehicles are all about. It's all of a piece. And normal people in Sweden, Italy, and the United States across the West are rejecting it wholesale. You do not see this reported. There are mass revolts going on in Europe, and nobody is reporting it. Very, very little coverage. It's all squashed because the powers that be, these these absolute authoritarians know, they know that they have lost control. So all of this, the the head of the European uh, Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, the Austin Powers villainess, actually threatened Italy by saying, we have tools she said, we have tools. If they go down this road, we have tools. So sounds like a threat to me. Don't vote the way we like. We have tools. Vote populists in. We have tools. Vote in leaders who will blow off the globalist predators. They have tools. Nice country you have there. Would be a shame if something happened to it. They're gangsters on a globalist scale, guys. So do not buy into their lies. Courage is necessary in the face of such a craven pursuit of absolute power, such dishonesty, extortion, threats, abuses of power, lies, corruption, gaslighting, and yes, fascism. This is the moment we are in right now, guys, and we need all hands on deck. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great Miranda Devine, so sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier, too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. I am so happy to welcome my very good friend and one of the few truly fearless 
and intrepid investigative reporters and columnists in the country today. Miranda Devine is a must-read in the New York Post. She also wrote the definitive expose of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, big bestseller called Laptop from Hell. If you haven't already gotten it and read it, please do it now. It is pure dynamite, and you need to know who our leaders are and the depth of their corruption. Laptop from Hell is your blueprint for that. And Miranda joins me now. Hi, Miranda. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's great to have you here. It's such a pleasure. Um, You know, Miranda, there's a lot to cover with you today. Um, You've obviously done an incredibly deep dive into the Biden crime family and have exposed so much of their corruption. I want to get to where we are in the Hunter Biden investigation as it is ongoing. And most people forget that there is a DOJ investigation into Hunter Biden um, because it's not reported except by you. So I do want to get into that. But before we do, I want to explore some of the psychological aspects to the Biden crime family story. And I do realize it's speculation, but honestly, Miranda, we have Hunter's depravity and Ashley Biden's diary in which she talks about inappropriate showers with her father at an advanced age, there seems to be something very dark going on here beyond just garden variety dysfunction. What's your view, because you've lived with this family doing this research for so long, what's your view of what is actually happening in this family over many years well, Monica, look, I, I think my overall conclusion is that uh, Joe Biden is a fraud in every way, and particularly in the uh, image that he portrays to the world of, um, of being a family man, you know, being a wonderful um, sort of patriarch in the in the vein of the Kennedys, which is what he's always modelled himself on. Um, in fact, he wasn't a very good father, uh, and, and I say that from looking at what Hunter Biden has said. Um, you know, I, I published just smatterings of it. Um, you know, with all of this, it's you do feel that you are invading someone's privacy. It is Hunter's innermost thoughts that he's poured out in a lot of these writings on the laptop. Um, I chose not to share some of them um, because they were so dark. Um, they, they had no material, um, you know, evidence of anything in them. Um, they were just an insight into his mind. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Ashley Biden, um, I feel deeply sorry for her as well, just as I do for Hunter. Um, I, I, I didn't mention, um, the, the diary because at that stage we weren't sure if it was real or some internet fakery. Um, I think that she deserves her privacy and I I don't know we can get anywhere from what she's written because she also had a terrible drug problem um, like Hunter did. She was in rehab, Uh, you know, both of them end up doing an enormous amount of analysis, which I don't think is good for them. but anyway, that's that leads to these sort of outpourings in diaries and things. And um, and she was really just talking about what she maybe thought might have happened. And so I'm just putting that to one side and saying that, you know, some things ought not be made public. But when it comes to Hunter, what we do know is that um, Joe Biden 
suffered a, a real, a genuine tragedy um, at the beginning of Hunter's life. And that, that was when uh, his wife, Hunter's mother, um, had a terrible car crash. Um, Hunter's uh, little sister, was, who was a baby, was killed in that car crash. Hunter was about two. He was badly injured, as was his beloved brother, Bo, who's uh, a year and a day older than him. And uh, they were in hospital for some time. And I think it's an indication of who Joe Biden is that he chose to be sworn in as the senator for Delaware. Uh, He just won the election before the accident. Um, And he chose to be sworn in at the bedside of his injured boys, his injured little boys, their interaction in a hospital. Joe Biden invited in troops of photographers and journalists into the hospital room and had his photograph taken there. And that photograph tugged at the heartstrings of America. And Joe Biden has used that in every campaign since. He has really capitalised on what I'm not taking away from him is his genuine grief. Um, And then, of course, later on, uh, Bo Biden, Hunter's older brother, died of a brain tumour. And uh, that really hit Joe particularly hard because Joe, Bo had always been the perfect son, a chip off the old block, Joe used to always call him. Uh, Joe was grooming uh, Bo to be sort of a president to carry on the Biden dynasty that Joe was so intent on creating. And uh, poor Hunter, he was assigned his role by his father and that was basically as bagman. And he complained about that bitterly. And, uh, you know, he would have liked to have been an artist or uh, an an author, but instead he had to go to work doing these grace and favour jobs for his father's donors at vastly inflated salaries, um, at half of which, as he constantly complains, he had to uh, give to the rest of the family. He you know, paid off his brother's tuition as well as his own, uh, as he tells his aunt, his father, Joe Biden, didn't pay a penny for their for their tuition. Um, and he continued on uh, funding the extended family um, uh, until he fell apart uh, around the time of his father's becoming vice president and or running for vice president. So I'll just leave it with one, one uh, last reflection, which is that um, Joe Biden knew that Hunter had a raging addiction problem. Maybe he didn't know he was on crack, but he knew he had 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 cocaine and alcohol problems. Um, and what loving father puts his son in front of a gushing torrent of unaccountable cash, knowing that he's an addict? It really is stunning. I mean, you know, I I began by asking you about Hunter and Ashley and so on. And and obviously, both of them became drug addicts and raging sexaholics. And while we hope everybody gets the help that they need, um, including them, uh, you know, there's something about Joe and Jill's parenting um, that, and I understand the the early life trauma of the car accident and so on. I, I get that. But the idea that Joe Biden and Jill... I mean, Jill has gotten a free pass, you know, but, but she was the mother figure there that they would, um, that they, that they would select their drug addicted, clearly disturbed son 
to be the one to drum up money for the family. I mean, and, and the way you describe it too, Miranda, about how when Bo dies and Bo was the golden child and he was the one who was supposed to go on the track to become president, yeah. it's reminiscent of the Kennedy family because the old man Kennedy wanted his eldest son, Joseph, to be president. He was the good looking, uh, super smart, charismatic one, and he gets killed in World War II. And so the rest of the family is like looking at the old man. The old man says, well, I guess by default, we've got JFK. And then uh, yeah. further by default, we got RFK. And then further default, we got Ted, Ted right? Yeah. Um, and it's a similar kind of thing. But what kind of parent then turns to their clearly disturbed son and says, you're going to be the bag man for the family. Go out there and drum up money and, and go to, the, to America's worst enemies while I'm sitting in the Senate and then later as vice president. It, well, exactly. And I think that shows you the sort of sociopathy of Joe Biden. Um, he's very self-engrossed. And you're absolutely right about the Kennedys. He's tried to emulate them in every way. Uh, he claims that when he was a child, he used to stand in front of a mirror and practice um, a JFK speech to get rid of his, uh, you know, supposed stutter. Um, he... Uh, boasts in a, a, a sort of long forgotten interview with um, Kitty Kelly back in the 80s. Um, he talks about um, about how after the tragedy of his wife and child being killed, Rose Kennedy kept on calling him and, and inviting him over for dinner. He was just cock-a-hoop about that, loved it. But then he added a typical Joe Biden twist by saying, but of course I, I, I was too busy to go. You know, I, I would fob her off. Um, so not only was he in demand by Rose Kennedy, but um, he was too important for her. And he also uh, boasted often about uh, and was very proud of the fact that he worked along, alongside Ted Kennedy in the Senate. Um, and he even created a sort of a Kennedy compound style place in Delaware, um, one of his mansions, which he called The Station. And he used to, um, you know, it was a sprawling house with extended family everywhere. And he would invite staff out there where where they and the family would have conferences about his future, you know, whether he would run for president and so on. It's incredible. And, and before we move on to the status of this investigation into Hunter, Miranda, you know, talking about Hunter and Ashley, what is it with them? And, and I realize this is speculation, but what, what do you think is the psychology beyond, behind them leaving very personal things like a laptop and a diary? I mean, you have both kids, not just one absent-minded kid, but you've got both kids leaving objects with their most personal and incriminating family secrets in random places for anybody to find. I mean, do they want to be caught? Is this like a subconscious move uh, to to implicate their father? I mean, it, it also reminds me of O.J. Simpson literally getting away with murder, but then putting himself in prison over a stupid memorabilia dispute. Yeah. Yes. Look, I've thought about this a lot. And um, I guess um, a Freudian uh, look at what the these two children of Joe Biden have done um, would say that they subconsciously um, if not consciously, uh, wanted the world to know 
about <clears throat> Joe Biden's um, true character. And I know, I, I don't know much about what, what Ashley was going through, but I do know that at the time that Hunter left his laptop behind um, at the laptop repair shop in Delaware in April of 2019, it was just a, a couple of weeks before Joe was announcing um, his run for the presidency. And Hunter knew that. Um, and so the timing in itself is bizarre. Also, that Delaware um, computer repair shop is right around the corner from Joe's house. Um, it is his local uh, shopping market. Um, of course, Hunter lived nearby as well. And, um, and, and also, it, it's just there is so much on that laptop that's needlessly um, sort of descriptive and uh, autobiographical um, that anybody would be sort of mortified to have it found uh, and, and that is so damaging to his father. But at the time, Hunter was furious with his father. He was raging against him and the whole family because he felt that they were disrespecting him in the run-up to Joe's campaign that, in fact, Joe or his staff, and Hunter blamed Joe, were um, briefing against Hunter, particularly to Maureen Dowd at the New York Times, who Hunter says is uh, Joe's favourite journalist. And she had written a piece about um, Hunter Biden, you know, poor Hunter, uh, you know, he's pretty hopeless, he's a drug addict, we need to just forget about him, you know, he's a problem for the campaign. And in a way to neutralise whatever problems came up care of Hunter during the campaign because everybody knew in the family and with the staff that he was completely erratic um, and was capable of any kind of embarrassment. So they sort of did a limited hangout with Maureen Down. And, and I mean, you know, Hunter was apoplectic. He was raging against everybody, furious. It's probably the angriest in the whole nine years of that laptop that he's ever been. And this was just before he abandoned that laptop. It's just incredible. It, the whole psychology beyond uh, all of this, I mean, when they are out of office, Hopefully sooner rather than later, Miranda. I mean, people need to do a deep dive into what has driven this family. But unfortunately, all of their family's psychological darkness has now been inflicted on the country and really the free world yeah. because the man is president now. Okay, Miranda, please stand by. So much more to cover with you. So please sit tight. In the meantime, guys, listen up. The savviest Americans diversify their savings to protect them from downturns in the market from global instability, and from a falling dollar. Do you? Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. In fact, if you have a 401k or IRA that's underperforming, just text MONICA to 989-898, and you can convert that into an IRA in precious metals right now. The last time we went through a recession, there were stocks that literally went to zero. Why not own something that has never been valued at zero? Gold. Gold is historically your best hedge against inflation, which is rising like a hockey stick as we speak. Text MONICA to 989 989- 
888-898-898 and Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Hedge against inflation and protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit by texting Monica to 989-898. Do it today. All right, we'll be right back with Miranda Devine. And we are back with the fantastic Miranda Devine of the New York Post. Talk to us a little bit about, I mean, Laptop from Hell is such a brilliant book, and you've done such extraordinary work in exposing what what I think and most people think is the most egregious influence peddling scheme in modern American history being run by the Bidens. Maybe the Clintons have a bigger grift going on, but maybe not. Maybe it's about the same. But talk to us a little bit about where the the investigation is now, because, you know, they impeached Donald Trump for what they themselves were doing and guilty of. But there is a DOJ, quote unquote, investigation into Hunter. Again, most people don't know it exists because it's not reported except by you. Where are we in this right now? Well, this is the U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss, who has been investigating Hunter Biden for four years, would you believe it? Um, and uh, it, basically on uh, uh, you know allegations of tax evasion, money laundering and violations of the Foreign Agent Registration Act, which, of course, Paul Manafort went to jail for and various Trump um, world people uh, have been investigated, raided, uh, jailed charged uh, and so on. And and it's uh, funny because FARA violations um, were, were never really prosecuted. They're, they're a sort of World War II vestige. They were never really prosecuted until Trump came along and the, the geniuses at the DOJ decided they had to find something to harass uh, people around him. So they chose FARA. So now hoist with their own petard is um, Hunter Biden. But look, this has been um, a ridiculously long investigation. And uh, what we do know, it's very tightly held, but what we do know is that last summer uh, they opened a grand jury and they heard testimony from various people um, associated with Hunter, former business partners, former lovers. Uh, What we also know is that they um, were asking witnesses at least once, um, who is the big guy? Now, the big guy is Joe Biden, and we know that because that's how he's referred to uh, quite often uh, in various communications on the laptop. But also we know he's the big guy because uh, Tony Bobulinski, who is a former business partner of Hunter Biden and, uh, you know, an unimpeachable witness, a naval veteran and, uh, you know, a a guy with... um, top secret security clearances from the NSA and the Department of Energy, a successful businessman in his own right. He sort of got dragooned into the China part of um, the sort of overseas influence peddling schemes, not knowing how shady it was, thinking that the Bidens were an upright family. Um, And he was a a Democrat donor. Uh, So Tony Bobulinski has told us, but not only us, the FBI, that the big guy is Joe Biden, that he personally met with the big guy, Joe Biden, twice in California to discuss uh, these Chinese deals um, and that that the big guy referred to in an email between the partners um, who was slated to get 10% of this deal, this joint venture with China, um, was 
Joe Biden. So you would think that if the grand jury in Delaware really wanted to know who the big guy was, they would have subpoenaed Tony Bobolinsky to come and appear, but they never did. He would have been their star witness. So to me, the fact that Tony Bobolinsky, willing and able to go and testify, was never asked to testify, never subpoenaed, that tells me that that grand jury, that US attorney's investigation is not really looking for the truth Mm -hmm. about Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. They are going to whitewash this, and I'm told uh, by, you know, wheels within wheels, so I'm not 100% sure of this or I would have written it, Um, but I was told a couple of months ago that the um, investigation had drawn to a close, um, that uh, they they subsequently had to reopen the grand jury briefly to uh, get testimony from a couple of witnesses who had had conflicting um, sort of accounts of something uh, and that they were ready to go and that they were organising a plea deal with Hunter that would uh, give him a suspended sentence and a large fine. Um, Now, he's already paid uh, $2.8 million, I'm told, in back taxes to try and um, erase any sort of problem with uh, getting charged with tax offences. That money came from, well, was lent to him, we're told, by um, an entertainment attorney in Los Angeles who he befriended and some of Hunter's former partners uh, call this guy, this lawyer, Kevin Morris, they call him Hunter's latest sugar brother Mm. because Kevin Morris, who I've spoken to, is really enamoured of Hunter, feels uh, very aggrieved by um, the, the fate that's befallen him and the stories that have been told about him and is doing his best to um, claim that the laptop is not authentic, um, that it's hacked, uh, and to prove Hunter's innocence in everything. And um, so he apparently it was a, the very generous benefactor lending him not only the $2.8 million to pay back the taxes but also paying what, what was his $20,000 a month rent uh, in a very nice uh, place in Malibu. Yes, yes. Hunter is living large, Miranda, while you and I are, are just out here trying to save our country. It's unbelievable. So is it your general sense? Obviously, we don't know, but the way things are going now and based on what you know, will there be any accountability? Will Hunter Biden ever be held to account, Joe Biden for that matter, or will both of them skate like all leftists do? I'm not sure that the US attorney in Delaware is going to really bring Hunter Biden to account. Um, I mean, I have no reason to, you know, doubt their integrity there or or their professionalism, Um, but just the fact that uh, nothing has come of it so far, the fact that the Department of Justice is really the boss of David Weiss and that means that Merrick Garland is the boss and his boss is Joe Biden. And uh, if you remember a few months ago, um, we had um, Ron Klain, Joe Biden's chief of staff, appear on, I think, CNN or MSNBC um, to basically threaten uh, that US attorney by saying, no, you know, the, the president says that Hunter is completely innocent and this has absolutely nothing to do with Joe Biden. In other words... U.S. attorney in Delaware, don't you dare 
do anything that that starts pulling on threads leading to Joe Biden. So I, I think that, you know, it's been very difficult for the US attorney uh, to operate there. And on top of the problems that you get politically from, you know, the Biden administration, they also have this problem with the politicised FBI. And the FBI has been in possession of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop since December of 2019 when John Paul MacIsaac, the owner of the repair shop, gave it to them because he was concerned that there was material on it. Uh, Now that he owned it legally because Hunter had abandoned it, he'd looked at it and found material relating to Burisma, um, the Ukrainian energy company that was paying Hunter Biden a million dollars a year and was caught up in this uh, impeachment of Donald Trump at the time. And John Paul MacIsaac was a Republican, is a Republican, no crime in that, uh, but uh, that was what led him to be concerned about the material on there and thinking that there was, you know, material that might um, be useful to Donald Trump in his defence. And so he called the FBI and he told them, you know, he what he had and they buried it. Mm-hmm. And then we also know that Tony Bobolinsky, 11 days before the 2020 election, went to the FBI with what he knew. He um, handed over the contents of three of his phones and a lot of that material um, I used in the book to confirm what was on the laptop, a lot of what was on the laptop, um, to it because it, it duplicates a lot of the emails and documents. Uh, he also has WhatsApp encrypted messages on the laptop that are um, sort of more exposed more than some of the text messages do on Hunter's laptop. Um, so it sort of augments and buttresses the laptop material. He took that material to the FBI 11 days before the election. Uh, he also gave them a five-hour interview and told them what he knew about Joe Biden's involvement in this family influence peddling scheme. Uh, he told them about the the millions of dollars that were flowing in from China and Russia and Ukraine, Romania, Kazakhstan, um, and, you know, the involvement of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. Um, the Bidens were right in the inner sanctum of those two leaders. And, you know, because Tony Bobolinsky is a patriot, he was concerned that one of the two candidates for the presidency could be compromised, particularly by China. And so that's why he went to the FBI. But we know now from whistleblowers that his material was buried and the laptop material was buried by activist, politicised agents, analysts who warned off other agents from investigating the material by saying it was disinformation. And we know um, whether or not the FBI was involved with uh, that scurrilous letter uh, sent by 51 senior former intelligence operatives, including four former directors of the CIA, leaders of the CIA, uh, John Brennan being one of them, Leon Panetta being another. Um, that letter by those 51 um, was came out four days after um, we at the New York Post published our first um, story about the laptop. Mm-hmm. And um, that letter said that the laptop was Russian disinformation. Now, to me, it's very strange that they were able to get that letter together in four days uh, with 51 people signing off, but that's what they did. 
And I, I, that leads me to believe that they must have had some sort of foreknowledge and maybe from uh, their compatriots at the FBI. And, um, and, and that letter was used to great effect by Joe Biden to get himself off the hook in that final debate with Donald Trump, which was just a couple of days after the letter was published, was leaked to Politico. And there's just one more thing, if I've got time, Monica, sure. to add to this about the FBI. This is the other piece. Uh, the FBI, I only discovered later, um, was, was covertly surveilling, in other words, spying on Rudy Giuliani for two years and um, he only found out when they raided him last year. But they had been spying on his iCloud, so all his emails and text messages, you know, iMessages, um, from a few weeks after he started uh, becoming uh, Donald Trump, then sitting president's private attorney. So two years. And in that two years, they would have had access to the emails coming in from uh, that whistleblower, John Paul Mac Isaac, at the laptop repair shop in Delaware. And those emails, which I have seen, are very detailed. They tell uh, Rudy Giuliani exactly what is uh, sort of incriminating to Joe Biden on the laptop. Um, he had done a very good deep dive and forensic uh, examination of the contents of the laptop. Um, it was extraordinary what he had come up with. And, um, in fact, that formed the basis for our stories. And um, not only did, did would the FBI have had access to those emails, which came in in late August of 2020, but also would have seen my messages with, uh, text messages with Rudy Giuliani um, just before the, you know, when he was telling me about this stuff, when we were discussing when the Post was going to be publishing. So the FBI knew what Rudy Giuliani had. They knew that the New York Post was going to publish it and roughly when. And coincidentally, the FBI went to Facebook. Uh, we know this because Mark Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan uh, just recently. Yes, yes. The FBI went to Facebook and warned them just before our story came out that there was going to be Russian disinformation coming out. And they were specific enough with Facebook that Facebook knew within minutes that our story was the story that the FBI had warned them about that was Russian disinformation, mm. which it wasn't. But that's why Facebook and then Twitter followed them, uh, censored, blocked our story. Uh, and uh, Facebook said it was because it had to have, you know, fact-checking, which they never did. We know they never did it because they never contacted the other recipients of the emails we published. Um, that's the that's the first thing you would do, and those people were easy to access. We access them, um, and so to me, this censoring of our story was a concerted effort and a very sinister effort, which included big tech colluding with the FBI and potentially colluding with the Biden campaign. Okay, Miranda, please sit tight. We're going to hit a quick break. More with Miranda Devine on the other side. And we're back with our final moments with the great Miranda Devine of the New York Post, also author of Laptop from Hell. 
So what do you make of big tech's reaction now that all of this has been exposed, right? So on Twitter, you've had, you had the former CEO, Jack Dorsey, come out and say, yeah, whoops are bad. We made a mistake in suppressing this New York Post uh, piece, uh, news prior to the election are bad. And then they can just continue to operate as usual. And then uh, Mark Zuckerberg telling Joe Rogan, he was like, yeah, the FBI came to us and asked us to suppress this. It really sucked. And then they all just move on, Miranda, and we're stuck, left holding the bag with a country going to hell with a totally corrupt president. How is it that there is no accountability in any direction? Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, they don't really care about being caught out after the election because they achieved what they wanted, which was uh, Donald Trump out of action. Um, And you see now, of course, uh, that that they're concerned that Donald Trump might um, run for office and win again. Um, They're now upping the ante and attacking you know, what what Joe Biden calls MAGA Republicans, who he's defined as semi-fascist, and you have the DOJ going after those people. We've had some very brave whistleblowers come out and talk about that political persecution that's going on. Um, Big tech doesn't really care. I mean, after the election, Jack Dorsey and, and Mark Zuckerberg were hauled in before Congress to answer questions about their censorship of the New York Post. Um and they were quite blasé about it. They did it by Zoom, of course. Right. And, um, and and you know, what are the senators going to do? Slap them with a, a wet feather? That's pretty much what happened. Um, and, and, you know, Jack Dorsey, the head of Twitter, said, oh, well, you know, it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, you know, it wasn't hacked materials. They locked the account of the country's oldest newspaper, the fourth largest by circulation, yeah. for two weeks until a couple of days before the election, um, Facebook stopped anybody from sharing our story. They, um, you know, Kelly McEnany, who was President Trump's press secretary, she tried to share the story by private Facebook message and she was suspended. Um, this is just the most egregious uh, authoritarian behaviour by big tech. And, you know, they then went on to de-platform the president of the free world. Yes. They were they were proud of it. And, uh, you know, that was so disturbing that, that these unaccountable um, oligopolies, globalist oligopolies, would have more power than the president of the United States. Even Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, um, called an alarm on that because, you know, if it can happen to Donald Trump, it can happen to anybody of any persuasion. You cannot have these unaccountable globalist operations being more powerful than democratically elected leaders of supposedly free countries. But that is what has happened and it's happened under our noses. And if the Republicans, if they get 
the chance to rule again, they need to break them up. This cannot happen. Final question for you, Miranda, and then I'll let you go. And by the way, I, I want, also wanted to cover the catastrophe at the border and illegal immigration, which you've also been writing extensively about, but I will bring you back for that at another time. Um, but final question for you, you know, the depth of corruption that you and others have exposed uh, with the Biden crime family, with the FBI, the DOJ, big tech, we no longer have a healthy republic because these entities control all of it. So our constitutional republic is is in the rearview mirror. How do we go about recapturing that? How do we restore that? I mean, it, the, the corruption is so entrenched and it's everywhere. And these globalists, these leftists control all of the levers of power from the culture to academia to the news media to big tech. It is such a heavy lift. I, I, I'm a natural optimist, Miranda, as you know, so I, I'm, I always look for a sunnier day down the road, but it is going to be such a grand project and we're going to need leaders everywhere, not just political leaders, but cultural leaders as well, to really get turn around this steamship in the middle of the ocean. And it is going to be a long-term project and we're going to need a lot of courage. But what is your sense about how we can begin to do this? Well, I think this is a global problem and the one country I think that is capable of solving it is America and Americans are waking up, they're being red-pilled and they are armed with the Constitution and so I think that, that America, of course, as usual, is the hope. Um, and, you know, we've seen these populist uprisings recently in Italy, in Sweden. Um, America led the way with the election of Donald Trump. Um, you, you, that showed us uh, how, what a threat he was to the establishment. And so Americans will have to do it again. But I think that what we need to realise, and I guess what we're understanding more and more is, uh, I mean, Donald Trump did talk about the deep state, but it's it's stronger and deeper uh, and more widespread than than I think we even imagined. Um, and uh, I, I think that the corruption in Washington extends to the Republican Party as well. Um, there's been no accountability. You see members on both sides becoming wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, and you see influence peddling operations and nepotism going on on both sides. And China's influence uh, is really sinister and, and widespread. So I think it's really up to individual Americans, A, to vote like their life depends on it, which it really does, Yes. and then to hold those Republican representatives to account, to make them live up to their promises and to make them investigate even their own people. They have promised to investigate this Biden saga. They have promised to investigate and impeach Joe Biden over the border. And they need to do that. There's no excuse for having saying, oh, Joe Biden's, you know, senile or he's a he's an old man, stop being, stop picking on him, stop picking on Hunter Biden, he's a private citizen. No, do not be swayed by those, that emotional blackmail that will come from the left. Yes. Uh, you need to keep your eye on the prize and that is restoring America's place in the world 
restoring integrity in Washington. And that's really crucial because how can you keep corruption out of small towns like Flint, Michigan, uh, when you can't keep it out of Washington? So I think that's the beginning of the restoration project. Oh, amen to that. I completely agree. And I've been encouraging everybody to volunteer whatever resources they might have going into this election. So whether it's your time or your money, if you're an attorney, go out and volunteer your services. If elections are challenged in your community, volunteer to be an election observer. We need all hands on deck, not just to vote, but to make sure our elections are clean. Because I believe if they're clean, we are going to see another populist revolt Again, this year, in a couple of weeks here in November, just look at what we just saw, Miranda, in Sweden and Italy yesterday as well. The people have had enough of this deep state globalist predator agenda that crushes us constantly, economically, politically, culturally. And this kind of authoritarianism, I think, is is on its way out. But we need to make sure that, that we stand up, allow our voices to be heard and push back in real meaningful ways. Absolutely. So beautifully said. And I, I mean, I think this election, we always feel like like the upcoming election is um, existential, but I think there's been no election as crucial as uh, November and then 2024. Oh, absolutely. 100%. It's going to be very interesting times too, Miranda, given uh, the, the array of possible candidates on both sides <laughs> that we're going to have. So we, if you're amenable, I would love to have you back to talk about immigration at some point. And then as we get into the 24 race as well, Miranda. I'd love to. Monica, it's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, well, thank you so much. You're truly doing yeoman's work in investigating and blowing the lid off of the Biden crime family and what this regime is doing to America. So thank you for being here and for your great work. The fantastic Miranda Devine. Read her in the New York Post and go get Laptop from Hell. Okay, that's going to do it for me here on this Monday. Thank you so much for joining me and for checking out our fantastic sponsors. We really do all appreciate that very much. Have a great start to your week. We've got a big week of shows coming up, including the Babylon Bee with a hilarious and important conversation. That's later in the week. But enjoy your start, and I will see you right back here on Wednesday.